Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Well, my, uh, my little fella is, uh, is coming up three years of age. It is an awesome age. Like, he, he is loving life uh, at the moment, uh, absolutely loving life. Uh, each morning, he wakes up so excited, so full of hope uh, for the day ahead. He is filled with so much optimism when he gets up in the morning, which is around about 5.45. We've tried a little uh, grow clock or glow clock, whatever they're called, and we've been able to extend it by at least half an hour. And so that is, uh, that is good. But this week, he, he's woken up and each day he's wanted, he's been so excited and wanting two things the most when he wakes up each morning uh, this week. The first one is this, brushing his teeth with dad. He's just loving brushing his teeth with dad. And the second one is he wants to wake up and have a watermelon smoothie. A watermelon smoothie. Do you know what he doesn't know? Is that in the watermelon smoothie, it's about 5% watermelon and about 95% spinach. You've got to get the greens in somehow. But two very ordinary activities, right? Brushing your teeth and having breakfast. But he is finding so much joy in those things. And I said to him, I said to him this week, Tommy, guess what? And he goes, what? And I said, this week we're going to go out and I'm going to take you and we're going to go out to the beach and we're going to have some ice cream and then we're going to go to the golf range. And you should have seen him. His eyes just lit up. And then he said something I've never heard him say before. He said, yay, that's so cool. (laughs) How, How does he even know that? How does he even know that? But there is so much wonder, so much joy, so much optimism in his eyes and his heart right now, and it is beautiful to see, and I love it. But if I'm honest, it also causes me to want some of that childlike wonder, to want some of that childlike optimism and and trust. You know, I wish that I woke up every day with that same level of hope for the day, that same level of trust, that same level of optimism for the day ahead, for the people in my, in my life, for our community, for our world at the moment. But the reality is that, that I don't. I don't. And you know what? I'm pretty sure I'm probably not the only one. I'm pretty sure you too. You have these moments where that level of optimism and that hope and that wonder for the day ahead or the people around you, your workplace or our world, it's just not, it's just not there. You know, where we were once optimistic, you know, whether in our workplaces, whether in our family life, with our friends, the church even, we've become more jaded, disillusioned, pessimistic, discouraged, disappointed and, and distrusting. You know, maybe you've had close friends who've just walked out of your life for for no apparent reason. 
Maybe you've had your heart broken just too many times. Maybe you've experienced the loss of a loved one just far too early. Or maybe you poured your heart into something and got little in return. Or maybe you got something in return, but it's not what you wanted or what you desired. And because of experiences like this, and you might be able to insert your own experience into that, it's just a few examples, but because of experiences like this, our hearts grow hard. We no longer believe the best in other people. And we're now afraid to trust other people. And we find that we actually do things or we don't do things, certain things, in order to protect ourselves from future hurt. You know, perhaps you've also become jaded and disillusioned with faith as well. Perhaps you've noticed yourself sceptical about anyone who shows any sort of enthusiasm for, for serving or for God. Or perhaps you're doubtful about God moving in the world or moving in your life because there's been too much unanswered prayer in your life. Now, to be clear, scepticism and doubt, they aren't necessarily all bad. But perhaps you can resonate with Solomon in Ecclesiastes who writes this, who says, Smoke, nothing but smoke. There's nothing to anything. It's all smoke. What's there to show for a lifetime of work, a lifetime of working your fingers to the bone? One generation goes its way, the next one arrives, but nothing changes. It's business as usual for old planet Earth. The sun comes up and the sun goes down and then does it again and 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 again. The same old round. All the rivers flow into the sea, but the sea never fills up. The rivers keep flowing to the same old place and then start all over and do it again. Everything's boring, utterly boring. No one can find any meaning in it. Boring to the eye, boring to the ear. What was will be again, what happened will happen again. Maybe you can resonate with that today. Maybe you find yourself in, in that place that, uh, that Solomon did. Maybe that's where you are right now. Because this is a very real place that many of us find ourselves in. And the problem is that when we experience this kind of disillusionment, this kind of jadedness to life and to the world and to faith, the, the real danger is that it can so easily move us into a, something more dangerous and it moves us into something called cynicism. Nobody wants to be a cynic. Nobody wants to do that. Cynicism at its root is disproportionate belief. It holds that all good things are indeed too good to be true. And I'm pretty sure none of us dream that one day would grow up to be a cynic, overtly negative in distrusting of humanity. None of us, none of us dream of that. The reality, though, is that we live in a culture where cynicism is everywhere. And it's easy too for cynicism to get into our hearts, to take root in our hearts and in our lives and to grow. And maybe this is where you are today. And so ask yourself, how's your heart? Is your heart hard? Have I become disappointed? Have I become cynical? Is there particular areas in my life maybe that I've become cynical? 
Because this is important that we talk about today because cynicism, when it takes root in our heart, it impacts negatively on our family life. It impacts negatively in our workplaces. It impacts negatively in, our, in the life of our church. But significantly, it impacts negatively on our discipleship to Jesus. It eats away at our faith and it eats away at our joy and our hope. And so it's important that we pay attention to our heart because the heart all through scripture talks about this is the engine room of our life. For from our heart flows our life. And so it's important that we give attention to this. Now there is good news though because while cynicism is dangerous, it need not be fatal. There is a way out. There's a a way to climb out. There's a pathway out of this. And the way out of cynicism, it's actually found in the hope of the gospel and the good news of Jesus. See, ultimately, the hope that we experience in Jesus is the antidote to cynicism. Throughout scriptures, the, the the whole sweep of scripture actually is one of hope. It actually speaks of hope. And the whole story ultimately finds itself in and come, the hope finds itself in the person of Jesus and the good news of the gospel. Take a look at what Paul says in Colossians 1, 3-6. Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love you have for all God's people. And have a listen to this. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. So in the message of the gospel is hope. And that hope is what springs into our lives. You see, the gospel is ultimately a message of hope that is anchored in the cross and the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. The gospel message is about a saviour, one who is king and lord and who brings life from dead things and a God who has a good plan for his world. And this hope isn't just based on some feeling or something flimsy. It's actually based on a person and in a person who loves you and I deeply and one who can take you and I through one side and out the other into new life again and to rescue us. So that's, the, that's ultimately the antidote to, to disillusionment, to, to cynicism. The challenge for us, though, is this. As true as the hope of the gospel is, we can fail to experience it in our lives. We can actually fail to experience the hope of the gospel in our lives every day. And one of the reasons is because of the cynical culture that we find ourselves in. And so today what I want to do is I want to look at just four practices, four simple practices that we see throughout Scripture that help to give us a pathway out of cynicism so that you and I can live in the hope of Jesus and can truly appreciate the treasure, as we've spoken about today, the treasure and the joy that is found in life with him and that he has promised for us. 
So that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to do these four practices. And the first one is this. The first one is that of actually just gratitude, of living grateful. As a church, this is one of our, one of our values, is that out of the goodness and grace of God that we would live humble, grateful and generous lives. You see, Scripture declares that ultimately God is good. Psalm 119 says, You are good and you only do good. But it's amazing how quickly the goodness of God can be, can be taken out of our lives and how quickly we can forget about the goodness of God in our lives. Take a look at this passage in Luke chapter 17 where Luke tells his story of Jesus coming into a village. He says, As he entered a village, ten men, all lepers, met him. They kept their distance but raised their voices, calling out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Taking a good look at them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. They went, and while still on their way, they became clean. There's a, there's a miracle and a healing right there. One of them, when he realised that he was healed, turned around, came back, shouting his gratitude, glorifying God. He kneeled at Jesus' feet, so grateful. He couldn't thank him enough. And he was a Samaritan. And it goes on and says, Jesus said, Were not ten healed? Where are the other nine? See, if we're honest, we can be like the other nine who suffer from a similar lack of gratitude, easily forgetting our salvation, easily forgetting the fact that we've been rescued from darkness into the kingdom of the Son that he loves, easily forgetting the healing or the work that he's done in our lives, the goodness we've experienced in him. But gratitude is the language of a healthy heart. Gratitude is a language of a healthy church. And this is why it is one of our values. Because gratitude is how we receive and experience the goodness of God in our lives. And this is why the psalmist says, in Psalm 100, he says, Enter his gates with what? With thanksgiving. Or in the message says it this way, Enter with the password, thank you. Make yourselves at home talking praise. Thank him. Worship him. This is why it's important each time that we meet on a Sunday as well, that together we thank him and we praise him. You see, thank you are two of the most important words that we can say to God. They're also two of the most important words that we can say to others as well. But when we say them to God, why they're so important is because they lead us right into his presence. They lead us right into his heart. You see, gratitude has the ability to turn what we have into enough rather than what we have being not enough and us not being content with what we have. Gratitude, you see, protects us from caving to the enemy's lies and allows us to experience and appreciate the joy and the goodness of God in our lives. So let me ask, how much does thank you feature in your prayers? How much does thank you feature in your life? How much does thank you feature around your family dinner table at night? How much does thank you feature in your workplace to other people? 
How much does thank you actually feature in your life and in your prayers? Meister Eckert, who's a 13th century Christian mystic, wrote this, If the only prayer we ever prayed our whole life was thank you, that would be enough. That would be enough. Gratitude is the language of a healthy disciple and of a healthy church. Have a look at what Paul says in uh, Colossians 3.15. He says the same thing. He says, be thankful. Be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with what? With gratitude in your hearts. Who's thankful here today? Come on, people. Gratitude needs to feature in our hearts. goes on and says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving what? Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Church, our gratitude for the goodness of God must be stronger than our cynicism. It must be. What can you be grateful for today? right now, you don't have to say it out loud, but right now, what's one thing that you can be grateful for in your life right now? What's one thing that you can just be thankful for in your life today? How has God blessed you? How has God blessed you? Think on that. Thank him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This is the way out of disillusionment and disappointment and cynicism. The second one is this. It's celebration. Celebration. Celebrate the work of God. Celebrating the work of God among us, do you know what it does? It renews our hope in the gospel and as such it provides a way out of cynicism. I wonder, let me ask you this. When you think about God, do you think about him as being happy? Do you think about him as being one who celebrates? Do you think about him as being one who is full of joy? Have a look at what John Ortberg, um, Ortberg writes. He, he says this, that we will not understand God until we understand this about him. God is the happiest being in the universe. God is the happiest being in the universe. He said, yes, God knows sorrow. We know that. We know that because Jesus himself was a man of sorrow. But joy is God's basic characteristic. Joy is his eternal destiny. You see, God is a God of celebration, a God who rejoices and who calls you and I to celebrate and to rejoice as well. And how do we know this? Well, we only have to turn to Luke chapter 15 and we see and read of three stories that Jesus tells about celebration, the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost two sons. And Jesus tells these stories to a group of muttering Pharisees and teachers in the law. And he does it insisting that the work of God, the work of God includes celebration. In the first story, Jesus tells us about a shepherd uh, who lost a sheep and then who leaves his flock of 100, leaves the other 99 and goes out and looks for the one lost sheep. And then in verse 5 of Luke chapter 15, have a look at what we read. We read this. And when he finds it, he angrily puts it on his shoulder and says, Why did you do this to me? Again, 
I'm calling my friends and telling them that I'm hanging up my boots on this shepherding thing. Is that what he does? No. Have a look at what he says. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says what? Rejoice with me. Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. In the second story, Jesus tells about a woman who lost a coin in a house. She searches everywhere for this coin. She lifts up behind the couch, looks behind the pillows, under the rugs, everywhere for this one lost coin. And when she finds it, what does she say? Look at verse 9. What does she do when she finds it? She just puts it in the top drawer and gets on with her life. No. When she finds it, verse 9, what does she do? She calls her friends and neighbours together and says what? Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. Let me ask, when was the last time that you celebrated the work of God in your life? When was the last time that you celebrated the work of God in your family's life? When did you last do that? It might have been for something small. And sometimes we can forget those small things. They need celebrating too. Let us be a people who celebrate. And this is why as a church we celebrate every baptism. We celebrate it. We celebrate every first-time faith commitment because these things matter. They help us again to see that God is at work in our world and we want to rejoice with him. And then in the final story, of course, Jesus tells about a son who requested his father's inheritance early and went off and squandered it on women and wine. And in the end, he finds himself among the pigs. He comes to his senses And he returns home anticipating an unhappy father who will just make him like one of the hired staff. But what happens? Have a look from verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father cuts off his comeback cry of repentance. And the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and what? And celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. So they began to celebrate. How good is this? This father, which is a picture of our heavenly father, knows the importance and the power and the practice of celebration. Church, the work of God is about celebration. Following the way of Jesus means celebrating the work and the grace of God in you, in your family, in our church and among us. Where is God's grace at work in your life today? Where are you seeing God's grace at work? Celebrate it. Call your friends and have a party. It's okay. In fact, it's important to do. Even if it's small, celebrate it, share it. It encourages you, but it encourages other people too. 
And in a culture of disillusionment and cynicism, we need to be reminded again and again and again and to celebrate the goodness of God and God at work. Our ability to celebrate must be stronger than our cynicism. Now, of course, the story Jesus is telling doesn't just end there. He goes on to tell us about an older son who, when he heard about the party for his brother, refused to celebrate the grace of God. And this is given, in a way, as a warning for us. Have a look at this. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Church, like gratitude... Celebration is the language of healthy disciples and healthy churches. Let us be a people and a church that celebrates and feasts well. Let us be a people and a church that say, Rejoice with me, for I have seen the work and the grace of God in my life. As we do that, we are not only encouraging ourselves, reminding ourselves of who God is, we are blessing and encouraging other people too. And when we take time to celebrate, whether personally or communally, life is breathed into hardened hearts and despair and cynicism lose their grip on us. John Mark Comer, he writes this. He says, The way of Jesus is a celebration of what is, even as long as we wait for what will be. It's about finding joy in the present moment, even as we wait for the hope of a better future. Celebration is an act of trust in God's goodness and a refusal to be defined by the brokenness of the world. It is easy to allow the brokenness and the fracturing of this world to impact us negatively. It's important that we learn gratitude and celebration. And thirdly, today, that of wonder. Now, these three things are kind of, they are a little similar, but it's important because they, they are still distinct. Number three, it's wonder. Make room for wonder. Wonder is critical in our discipleship to Jesus. So we all know, James says this, James says, faith without deeds is dead. But you don't, do you know what else is? Faith without awe and wonder is also dead. It's important that we can look at God in awe and in wonder. Take a look at what Habakkuk writes in Habakkuk 1.5. He says, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. Now, of course, this is a word of God to Habakkuk, and, uh, but the God says the same to us, I believe, today. I'm doing a work in your day today that you would not believe even if I told you. So make room to wonder. Make room for awe and astonishment. When was the last time you were gripped by wonder 
and awing God. Maybe it was in a time of worship, a private time of worship. Maybe it was just as you were walking along a path and saw a, a flower or a tree or something. It was just that sense of awe and wonder. But when was it? When was the last time you found yourself surprised by God? Has the mundaneness of life caused you to miss the wonder of God bursting all around us? You see, maybe all the bad news in the world has clouded our perspective of all the good that God is doing among us. If we slowed down for a moment, stopped the scrolling, made room for wonder, we would be surprised at the work of God in our lives and the lives of others around us. You see, church, there is more grace, there is more goodness, there is more wonder and redemption happening around us than we can even imagine or see. Frederick Buchner reminds us of this. He says this, Listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery that it is. In the boredom and pain of it, no less than in the excitement and the gladness. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it. Because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments and life itself is grace. Every moment of life is a moment of grace, a moment to experience awe and wonder. I wonder, how are you going in awe and wonder? Are you disappointed? Does wonder maybe feel too, too vulnerable? How can you make room for wonder? in your life today. See, in a culture of cynicism, gratitude, celebration and wonder help us. They help our heart. They help to remind us of the goodness and the grace of God and they help us to experience the hope, the joy and the pleasure of Jesus. And here's what I believe. I believe that as Christians, we are at our best when we are people that can keep our hearts alive in a culture of cynicism. When we can do that, when people can look at us and wonder how is it that you are able in a, in a world of cynicism to be able to keep your heart alive and well, that matters. That's important. And finally... Today I want us to encourage on this final one, and that is this, be purveyors of hope. Be purveyors of hope. In a world that's full of cynics, speak hope, speak life, and speak joy. It is not only good for you, but it is good for our world. You know, God's heart is that we would overflow with hope. And this is what Paul writes in Romans. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then in Titus 1.1, he says this about his purpose. He says, I, Paul, am God's slave and Christ's agent for promoting the faith among God's people, getting the, out, the accurate word on God and how to respond rightly to it. And I love this when Paul speaks about his purpose. He says this, My aim is to raise hopes by pointing the way to life without end. Church, as followers of Jesus... This is our purpose too. Our purpose, if you're wondering why you are here, 
Part of your purpose is this, is to raise hopes by pointing people to life without end. Isn't that a beautiful way of talking about how we speak about the gospel and the hope that is found in the gospel in a world that so much needs life and hope and joy? We have, we understand where true hope actually lies. Let us be those who fully appreciate it, experience the joy of it through gratitude, through celebration, through being amazed and wonder at God and for being those who are purveyors of hope in a world that so desperately needs it. Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, I want to share just a, a little story of hope. A couple of weeks ago, I was reading McCrindle Research have just completed a study that has shown that over the last three years, and some of this might not be surprising to you, but that there has been a dwindling of trust. Uh, and the research shows there's been a dwindling of trust in the government, a dwindling of trust in mainstream media and in large corporations, citing that Australians are yearning for transparency, accountability and a reconnection with values that truly matter to the nation. Interestingly, the research also showed that over the last three years, there has been a resurgence of trust in local churches and in the broader church community. And this resurgence reflects a renewed quest for meaning, values and community. Now, this isn't just, this isn't, this is research, but let me say, as your pastor, we are seeing this play out here. And we are seeing this play out in churches across the Baptist movement here in SA. People turning up to church with little or no background in faith just to give it a go. And why? Because they're actually losing trust in the broader narrative, in the broader narrative that is told by our culture. They're losing trust in that. But they're looking for something real, something not hype, but something full of hope and truth. And they're coming and they're experiencing the goodness of Jesus. Let us be people who are purveyors of hope and the hope that can be found in King Jesus. Would you stand with me? And all I want to do today in a moment, we're going to come and we're just going to worship. And as we do, I really just want the words of thank you just to be on our hearts today. And may the prayer that rises from your lips be God, the source of it all, thank you. God, source of it all, thank you. And we're going to come and we're going to worship. We're going to sing about the goodness of God. We're going to sing about his activity in the world, about his salvation and his redemption. And as we do, let's lift our hearts. Let's be grateful for what he's done let's celebrate him and let's just be amazed and in wonder again because as we do this individually it matters but as we do this collectively it stirs our heart it helps us to appreciate the joy and the treasure that we have in king jesus so let's come and maybe you might want to just lift your hands today but spirit of god i just pray that you would be at work in this place Spirit of God, just remind us again of the goodness of God. Remind us of the goodness of our salvation and our redemption. And Lord, we just want to praise you. 
We come to you now with the words, thank you on our lips. Thank you in our hearts. Help us to experience your goodness as we lift and as we praise you today. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through the hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.